1: Big thanks to our sponsor, 16 Degrees Coaching. Do you feel stuck in your current job? Do you wish you had a career you loved? James, from 16 Degrees Coaching, specialises in working with people like you. He'll help you find clarity in what you want to do next, even when you have no idea yourself, and confidence to move forwards. To see the success James has had in helping others with their careers and to find out what he can do for you, Visit his website, 16degreescoaching.co.uk, to book a free consultation, or follow the link on ours. Today's backstory comes from Natasha. Natasha lives with obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD. Not the washing hands, checking light switches sort, but a type of OCD that some call pure O. More on that later. It's also a story about how you live your life with something that limits the choices you make, your job, your relationships, but is virtually invisible to those around you. Something that, in this story, isolates you from family and friends, makes you feel as though you're a danger to them, and if you confide in them, you won't be believed and you'll be rejected. This is Natasha's story.
2: It's a condition that unless you are informed about it, you, it will take over. It is catastrophic thinking, irrational thinking, obsessional thinking. I've come to meet
3: Natasha who lives in a beautiful part of Greater London, with her mum, Phoebe. Natasha got in contact with us a while ago, and we had arranged to meet, but our meeting was postponed because her OCD took hold.
2: And um, I suddenly got this obsession that suddenly, magically, somebody was just going to die for no reason at all. I, c- I, couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I remember sitting here um, on the sofa and... um. Just being so terrified that I couldn't move, and then it got so bad that that's that's when I begin to feel like I've been possessed, and I feel like there's this demon, very black, sticky demon, who's literally covering me and I can't, and suffocating me. This is an episodic condition.
3: Sometimes it's relatively under control, and other times it's absolutely full on. I'm meeting with Natasha during a period when she's feeling okay and is able to see her condition for what it is. In our telephone conversations, what struck me is that she's very articulate, very well informed and perceptive about her OCD. But when she's in an acute stage of the illness, she loses that perspective. Natasha started off by telling me how things began with intrusive thoughts when she was just a little girl.
2: I think um, I must have been about five and um, I remember suddenly developing this fear of um, being invited to birthday parties and um, I just remember my heart used to sink every time. Um, I was given an envelope or it came through the, the post with an invite and just thinking, how how can I get out of this? You know, I was five years old, so it wasn't like I thought there was anything strange about that. It's just, I accepted that. It was just, you know, um, a fear I had without questioning it. And then, um, yeah, I used to have these terrible nightmares about it um, and about being, all the children would be um, collected and I'd be waiting for my parents by the window, and it, and it would get dark, and I'd be alone, thinking they're not coming, they're not coming. And then um, a car, I'd hear the the family car driving, and I think, oh my gosh, that, you know they're here. My my parents would get out, and I'd think there's something strange about them. And they'd walk to the path, and um, tear off their faces, and it would be these terrifying kind of demons in their place, and they were coming to... And I'd never seen my parents again.
3: Natasha's fears were well hidden, which seems to be a feature of her OCD. Phoebe, her mum, wasn't aware of how her daughter was
4: feeling. I think she was actually very sweet. Um, she, she was sweet, she was happy. She loved... Um, people um, I, I she was no trouble she wasn't a yeller and she wasn't a screamer she wasn't demanding she didn't have sort of temper fits she didn't um, cry or or do anything destructive so I can't say there was anything that I would say that I was a little concerned about
3: while Natasha's fears may not have been apparent they were very real to her I
2: remember just not feeling safe, and I knew, even though I was really young, I knew that.
4: I don't know. I, I don't think. I don't think I told anybody. I can't remember her holding onto my hand or telling me not to go away or anything. She, she didn't show that anxiety. She got sort of eager and excited, but there was nothing to show she would. She wasn't going to enjoy it. I wouldn't have forced her to. Can you
3: tell me um, a little bit about what you understand about Natasha's
4: condition? I didn't actually understand um, very much at all. I had heard about it, but Natasha explained it to me. I thought about it, and then I remembered as a little girl, I say four years old, I, um, when we were coming back from school, I would buy her colouring books. She loved colouring and tracing books. And as soon as she got in, she would lie on the floor on her tummy, open the book, and she wouldn't stop until she'd finished it. That was every single day. I don't know one. Would, one could say there was some um, reason, such as Ossia, or whether she just liked that. Perhaps that was the beginning of something, some sort of mild obsession. But I couldn't have called it an obsession. It was a child and she um, concentrated on it 100%. During Natasha's
3: teenage years, her parents' marriage broke down. She was party to being
4: there during some very difficult times. And I don't think that's a very, I wouldn't say it didn't help her because in a way she didn't even have to have obsessive thought. They were there in, in the open. She did tell me that she did do some self harm, like scratching herself with, you know, a pin or something like that, um, and that's a deep unhappiness.
2: Because I sensed danger really easily, and I could pick up when there was a, when there was tension in the in the air. And so what I used to do was to um, lighten the tension. I used to think it was my role, to I, I had to do that.
3: Natasha was hyper-vigilant, always alert to danger and aware of other people's moods. Despite everything that was going on internally, externally, life carried on. Natasha did what most of us do, moved out and got a job. In 2001, at the age of 29, she was living and working in Cardiff. And in a relationship, when her illness took a new turn, just out
2: of nowhere, I woke up and I thought, "I'm HIV positive." The intrusive thoughts had found a new direction. Two thousand and one to two thousand and ten, I had a, I was HIV positive in my mind, and um, I lived my life for ten years, planning funerals. Um, I uh, was thinking, you know, I'm going to be arrested because I know that I'm HIV positive, yet I'm still having a, you know, I'm in a relationship and, um, you know, sleeping with my boyfriend, knowing that I'm going to infect him. Um, I'm going to have to tell his parents. It's all going to come out. Then the newspaper's going to find out. Um, My family and friends won't support me. They'll disappear. I'm going to end up in prison.
3: Around this time... What were the voices
2: saying? What was their role in all of this? It was a constant from uh, pretty much from when I woke up to when I went to bed. It was a constant. Um, you're in danger. You have to stay very, very quiet because you're you are so unsafe. You are not going to be able to handle things when it when the truth comes out. You're not going to be able to handle it. So you must um, you must never tell anybody. At any point,
3: did you think about going and having a test by yourself?
2: No, no. I, I no, because I I knew that I was on my own in it, and I couldn't I couldn't tell anybody because um, it would come out that I was. So there'd be no point because I already knew I was. I felt extremely isolated, extremely lonely. This was a tough
3: time. Natasha was convinced that she was HIV positive but
2: she couldn't confide in anyone very kind of like horrible voice which is like I'm all I'm doing is I'm protecting you I'm looking out for you and I'm just forewarning you and if you don't listen to me you're going to wish you listened to me you it's like an abusive very abusive partner what you hear about that sort of like I'm keeping you safe but re- really you know if you don't listen to me and I won't be there for you Is that an inner voice? Um, Sometimes it's a voice, sometimes it's a lot, many voices all shouting and all kind of, and it's really confusing. But there's always one, it's like a central voice. Sometimes it's a, a fear, which I don't even know what it is.
3: While all of this was going on, year after year, Natasha tried to maintain the appearance of a normal life. And looking back, how do you think? How do you think you would have looked to somebody from the outside?
2: Probably somebody who kind of like had it quite together. Very sort of very friendly, very, you know, confident. So it was well hidden? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. That's perhaps not what I was expecting you to say. I think I was expecting that you would have come across as perhaps nervous or withdrawn or very quiet. The nature of her OCD meant that she couldn't always maintain the
2: facade, that everything was okay. I'd just get back from work and I wouldn't get into bed. I'd just be in my work clothes and then for days and days and days, I wasn't washing. Um, I was doing things like praying, just doing sort of rituals and things. Eventually, after many
3: years... Natasha sought help
2: well before I came to London had the OCD diagnosis I'd actually when I was in Cardiff I'd been to the doctor because I was not coping at all and I didn't want to tell them you know nothing about I didn't want to tell them um about HIV but I just I can't remember what what he said but I just said I'm not I'm not coping with this I'm just I I, I can't um I'm, I'm not functioning so I was. Sent to CBT and the woman told me, well you're a control freak, this is why, Um, this is why you're, and I was like, oh god yeah, I am, yeah, she's right, I'm a control freak, that's her diagnosis, nothing to do with, okay this does sound like an obsessional thinking and that caused so much damage uh, because I just thought, yeah, this time, she's basically, she has confirmed that I'm this, really, really bad person, and that's what it is. This first attempt at getting help was pretty
3: disastrous, but Natasha tried again. She went to see another doctor.
2: And the doctor said, you know, it sounds like you you have OCD, and I was like, what? You OCD is for people who get their cupboards in order and switch the lights on and off. I'd never heard of it. And he said, no, what you have is um, obsessive, uh, sort of intrusive thoughts. So you have obsessive, compulsive thoughts. And your way of um, dealing with with this is to obsessively think about the thing over and over and over again, um, in the same way as somebody will switch on and off a light switch.
3: At last, in her mid-thirties, having suffered from when she was a little girl, Natasha had a diagnosis. I've thought about what getting a diagnosis means. It seems to be a validation that what you're experiencing is real and recognised, a reassurance that you're not the only one, and potentially a source of hope that there might be a treatment that works. So you had your diagnosis. You
2: were how old when you got the diagnosis? Um, I think I was 35 or 36. So it's quite a late
3: stage to get a diagnosis like that. And you felt, you said you felt a...
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!"
4: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Huge sense of
3: relief. Natasha received therapy and took medication but they weren't a cure. She did, however, start to open up. Previously, the voices had convinced her not to tell anyone about her HIV status, warning of catastrophic consequences. But this time, she took the huge step of confiding in
2: a friend. Got um, five very, very trusted friends who um, they, know about this and they take it really seriously and they're the ones who are always pushing me to get, get it sorted and I remember um, a friend of mine, I, I called her and I was I said I've got to talk to you about this and I was so terrified because I'd never talked about it before and I said you know I have this, you know I think I'm HIV positive and she's like oh my god, What you know, thinking that you know, it already was and, and then she's like oh my god, of course you're not you, you can't be, there's just no way that you can be and It's funny because I had spent years and years and years with a voice telling me not to tell anybody, and speaking to her was just like popping the bubble. I didn't feel judged, and I didn't feel um, that she would say, That's so stupid, oh, it's ridiculous. She took it really, really seriously, but she immediately, because she knows me so well. And she's such a close friend, and she had that level of... God, you, you know, with compassion and empathy and taking it seriously. But, no, this is not real. She just had this amazing, perfect mix of exactly, and she just knew what to do. And um, she really did. She, I would say she really saved my life.
3: And I'm guessing that part of that is that you trusted her because you'd had these voices inside your head. I know one of the things you said to me previously was that the voices seemed you trusted them more than you trusted yourself. But then all of a sudden you had this friend that you, you could trust that what she was saying was true. So I'm interested in... Was there any competition there between what she was saying and the voices? Did the voices respond in any
2: way to to this kind of development? God, she completely silenced them, broke the spell immediately. It's sort of almost like you're smashing something and it's releasing me. And then I was like, oh, my God, what's, you know. But then it just, it went and then it came back again, came back again. And, you know, and then that was for about two months Again,
3: that episodic nature of Natasha's OCD. Periods of relative calm followed by a sudden descent into what sounds like an alternative reality.
2: So I can be sitting here having, you know, just feeling completely fine and then within a second it's like something's jumped on me. Um, So what these voices do is they warn me not to tell anybody because then that will make it the bad thing happened um so I have all these voices and it's almost like um it's like if you imagine a courtroom full of people like shouting and screaming and I'm there pleading saying please please you know I haven't done anything and I know you have so I don't know who to listen to and I don't trust myself at all can you give me I know you say that that you don't
3: always know what it is but can you tell me some of the other manifestations how it's come out in other ways
2: yeah so the car the driving one um so I passed my test and I've never well I have driven but very occasionally because my mind is well you're going to kill somebody and it's going to ruin your life and you're it's always about harm, harming somebody else it's never about well I, yeah I'm going to suffer for this and I'm going to go to prison my life that doesn't Matter. It's I'm struck always by
3: that. I'm struck yeah. By that, that, yeah. That this is this is about harming other people. This is about your fear of doing something hideously wrong, isn't it? And that, to me, kind of evokes feelings of shame and of guilt. Is
2: that how it feels? Yeah. It's it's because in my mind it's already happened, so I'm living. i'm living all the time in the future when this terrible thing has happened so it's almost my my mind has fast forwarded like years in the future and it's and this is and it's saying this is how it's going to feel to you when you do that thing because you didn't listen to me you're an idiot if you'd listen to me you'd be living up so i can never i can never be well i'm learning to be to, to be better at it but it's very difficult for me to be fully present and um so there's that, there was, um, you know, uh, having a baby, I would, you know, my baby would be born with the AIDS virus and I'd be ruining an innocent, you know, baby who didn't ask to be born. But that's the theme, it's the theme of harming people. Who else knows? Um, I've told my told my mum and um, her partner. Um, I work, I do voluntary work for... Um, Um, something called the Even Better Together project which is um, um, sort of conditions related to OCD It's
3: only fairly recently that Natasha has confided in Phoebe Having met Phoebe I feel as though she's a pretty good bet She's poised and elegant not that that has anything to do with it but there's just something about her that strikes me as calm and compassionate Even so opening up was a big step for Natasha, not only because Phoebe's her mother, but also because opening up to anyone about this is hard. Remember all of those voices and their warnings about what would happen if she told. While I was with them, Natasha spoke to Phoebe a little bit more.
2: I don't feel safe to be open about it um, in case I get the response that I most fear Um, and that's never happened but that's just a typical manifestation of what it is and what it's like I think when I open up and I feel safe to do that you've been amazing you've been really really good Um, but it's it's very hard because in some ways it's not because I don't want to worry you because you're not that type so that's not I know you wouldn't worry because you're very, you deal with things without with in a very logical way, which is what I need. And I know it wouldn't worry you, but it's more to do with I, I'm so scared all the time that I just won't get that, that support that
4: I, I'm always always looking for. She doesn't complain really she keeps these things to herself she does get cross if I say even little things like what time will you be back you know she has to remind me she's a grown-up woman not a child and I said well I'm sorry darling but every mother's child is their child forever I think um occasionally Natasha will snap and she would just close up completely and become very cold and sometimes and very tense and terse and sometimes quite rude in the sense that she'd just walk out and you couldn't talk to her. She would then come back and suddenly become a warm, loving person she is, and give me a hug and apologize and quite often go out and buy me a bunch of flowers. Just to say I'm sorry and I'd say look you know, we all have these. I was I was delighted, but I was about I was quite surprised at her incredible um apologetic feel without my knowing why, but she said I get like this on me and I can't get out of it. You've just got to let me get out of it. It's another
3: reminder that this is a condition that comes and goes. Natasha has opened up and she has the support of friends and family and groups.
2: But the OCD continues, and it's hard work. Um, so my latest one was um, just being convinced that um, people going to die, just suddenly die, uh, to sort of family and stuff. I'd do things like checking techniques and, and things, so I'd check. So when I was here and I was staying in the family home, I'd sort of, like, um, look at my mum, I just think, I'm just checking, there's no, you know, she's so healthy and there's no reason at all. But it was just something which, it's almost like, um, if you imagine a computer and it's scanning. So what my mind will do, it will just scan everything until it finds something to obsess about. Like Sometimes life is, I find it too painful and... I would never do anything. I'd never ever do anything, but I I do think, you know, I don't I don't want to live because it's it's too much.
3: I think we're all a bit more aware now of invisible illnesses. But Natasha's story brings home to me how challenging and exhausting and limiting these can be.
2: Nobody knows. Nobody knows, nobody can tell. It's almost like that thing like if you break your leg you've got the cast showing you're limping whatever but when something is going on so intensely but people can't see it it's like they can't relate it to anything.
3: I wondered why Natasha had chosen to take part in this program.
2: I hope that people will um, see OCD as um, something which is in a way it's not understood because it a lot of people will use it They'll sort of trivialise it by saying that it's, you know, I'm really OCD about keeping the house clean or about being on time. It's it's such... It's an anxiety disorder. And I think that's the missing piece. When people... When you put it, oh, what's OCD? And then people say, oh, it's organising things or it's checking, whatever. really what it is, it's an anxiety disorder by doing something over and over again, like, say, for example, somebody who switches on and off the lights over and over again, and that's, yes, it is a sort of soothing. And also, with my OCD, the more I think about something, I think that's the way that it's going to deal with a situation, is I'll have to think about it all the time, otherwise it'll come true. And if I don't think about it all the time, then it will come true. So it's this repetitive... um, It's a repetitive behaviour... That makes you think that that's going to keep what you're terrified at. Does it not, it's not going to happen. And the same with you know, um, you know, a lot of people have it where they're washing their hands all the time, and it's to stop or counting. If I count this and it's even numbers, then it will stop that from happening. Um, if I don't do that, then it will happen. So I have to. So all your energy is 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 directed into this one behavior and my one is just compulsive obsessive thinking. When Natasha
3: got in touch, she focused on her intrusive thoughts about being HIV
2: positive. So I kind of had to ask Yeah, I had the test it was a sixty second test. Came out like completely fine. I just thought oh my God, I've just literally that's that's um how many years? Nine years? Nine years of my life. Constantly, that I've actually told myself that I was, and this is what it does. It just completely robs you of, you know, a lot of precious time. I don't want it to, it's not my identity. It's something which I suffer from, but it's not all the time anymore. It's an occasional thing. So I'm not going to make this whole thing my identity. I know what to do with it. I've got my strategies. I can, when I get an attack, I know what to do, but I'm not going to tell everybody because then it, you start to. For me, I start to become it, and I don't want that's not who I am.
1: Our thanks to Natasha for telling us her backstory. As always, there are links and more information on our website, thebackstorypodcast.co.uk, where you can also get in touch if you'd like to take part in a future episode. Next time, we'll be talking to Felix, who's 19 about his journey transitioning from being a young woman to a young man and to his now ex-partner Rebecca, who identifies as a It was a massive learning curve for us. We hope you'll enjoy listening to their story. Don't forget, our episodes are released fortnightly. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, then you can catch up in all the usual ways. We're The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at The Backstory Pod on Twitter. Please do share, retweet, comment, like, do whatever you can. Tell your friends, get someone else into podcasts. It's amazing how many people still don't know what they are and how to listen. Thanks. See you next time. Thanks again to our sponsor, James, from 16 Degrees Coaching. Don't let your backstory define your future. Email him, james at 16degreescoaching.com.